Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young starlets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no holdups, not only in traffic, but also in life. How do people handle those holdups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same? Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, in Hollywood. Writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell. Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James. Um, Jennifer Clymer, thank you so much for your time. I was so impressed. I came here a couple of weeks ago now uh, with my voice agent, WME, um, and we were playing bingo with some of the residents at the Motion Picture Television Fund Retirement Campus. Is that the correct name? Yes, it's the Motion Picture and Television Fund, or MPTF, um, and I can explain why we're changing if you would like to know. Yes. And uh, this is the Wasserman Retirement Campus. So the campus itself is almost 80 years old. Um, The the charity is nearly a hundred years old. Started with Mary Pickford and Charlie Chaplin and Douglas Fairbanks. Like Hollywood grew up with a charitable intention right alongside of it. This industry started the charity to take care of their fellow industry members before they started the academy. Like they weren't self congratulatory first. They were charitably minded. Good grief. Yeah. I had no idea it went back to that connection. Yeah. Yeah. And the campus. So it it started in 1921 with financial service and social service. Okay, The idea being, you know, people were coming back from World War One. People were having a hard time transitioning between silent films and talkie films. Yes. And they would go up to these industry luminaries and say, why didn't you book me on your current film? I can't feed my family right now. And the volatility of this industry has remained since the very beginning. I mean, we all know friends who have these incredible times where they they can't stop being booked and then times of real drought where jobs just don't come. Um, And sometimes that's also because they can't be seeking jobs because there's a medical issue or Mm -hmm. there's a family issue. So it went quickly from, hey, we have a change bucket which Mary Pickford would do. She would take a bucket, put it down in the middle of a soundstage and say, we're fortunate to be working. We all know someone who isn't. Donate to the charity and we will help people out. Back then, before television, it was called the Motion Picture Relief Fund. Right. In the 50s, and certainly there were social services that started burgeoning out of that because if you're going to be giving someone financial aid, you want to find out what the root of their real problem is so that they don't have to keep coming back for grants. You're you're solving the issue and giving them the chance to, you know, not need to come back. Yeah. And to flourish. And to flourish. So 
financial aid, social service in the 50s, this weird thing called television was created. So as an industry, it was our same industry members that were going from the film set to a television set because it's still production. So it went from being the motion picture relief fund to the motion picture television fund. And now we're in another really beautiful transition transition time where it's not just motion pictures. It's not just television. It's streaming content. It's over the top. It's um, gaming. Like the people that are making these forms of entertainment are still our fellow industry members who are telling stories, who are in production that sometimes it's totally flush. Sometimes you're down on your luck. Mm-hmm. So we continue to be serving all current industry members with financial aid, social service. Um, and in the 1940s, uh, a gentleman named Gene Hirschholt, who was from Denmark, he was an actor and a producer. The Academy has the Gene Hirschholt Award for people that are doing extraordinary humanitarian things. The very first Gene Hirschholt Award was given right here on this campus in Woodland Hills to the architect that donated the um, the country house, which is the main kind of social area. Right. William Pereira is that gentleman's name. And it was given to him by Gene Hirschholt, who at that point was part of the membership and the board of MPTF. He bought 48 acres of land in Woodland Hills that was a walnut grove and orange trees, knowing that. There was no residuals at that time. Social Security was in its infancy. Americans were not taking care of their seniors the way that Europeans were instructed to Mm -hmm. from a very young age. So if you were an industry member who had lean times through most of your career, at your retirement, you were in the poorhouse. There there wasn't a safety net for you. So Gene Herschel said, we're making a retirement community. And that's where you are currently and where you were playing bingo two weeks ago. I mean, I'm familiar with retirement communities, but this is really extraordinary. Mm. The, the, the lengths that you go to, to, to keep people happy, to keep them engaged. And one of the things that strikes me currently is that there's so much talk about your career as your source of wealth or your source of income to support yourself. But what is often forgotten is that it's also where your passion sits and that fuels your heart. And to have something that you're creatively engaged in is so important. Um, And so you have this twin edge thing of when the money isn't there because you're not getting the booking, you're you're losing the money, but you're also you like, where do you create? How do you make things happen? And you particularly here seem to be addressing that in an aging population by not only providing what we think of as traditional um, aged care uh, gaming, mm-hmm. but but also you've put a television studio, a full media production house on the property. Tell yeah. us about that. Um, so there was... Um an understanding from the people that were in the leadership and on the board of MPTF um, that it was vital to keep the community here still engaged in, in the entertainment related world. Um, In the sixties, they built a full, beautiful um, projection theater. It's, it's a movie theater and that's on the campus and the residents choose which movies that are first run that are out, you know, in every theater across the world. 
which movies they want brought in and the studios send them. And that's been happening since the 60s. But that wasn't it was fulfilling a little bit of, hey, you can watch what we're doing these days. Um, it wasn't until the late 1990s that one of the board members who himself was starting to realize I'm not creatively fulfilled. People mm-hmm. aren't booking me anymore. And I've had a, an extremely successful career. I was a writer, a producer, a director. Why is it that people aren't hiring me? And somebody actually had to kind of set him down and say, well, you're 90. <laughs> You know, and and it didn't dawn on him because what we find, or at least what I believe for every person that lives on this campus, when they wake up in the morning and they walk to the mirror, they're expecting to see that person who is 28, 30, 41, looking back at them. It's, it is almost always a surprise to them to have you know, the additional wrinkle. Oh, honey, it's a surprise to me. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's a wonderful way of looking at it, though. Yeah. So if we can um, be serving people where they are coming from emotionally and intellectually and not physically, that's going to provide a sense of purpose and dignity that you don't experience in other communities. So that is a moment, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that 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 you, you know. I said to you when I I I wanted to do this interview. I said, oh, I don't quite know how to capture the magic. But when you gave a tour after the bingo day, I was just so enraptured by everything that you were doing. Not from a perspective of oh, I want to move there now, mm-hmm. but from oh wow, this is so great, and I couldn't put my finger on it. But that's it. Working with people at their emotional and intellectual interest and. And acknowledge the physical, work with the limitations if there are some, but mm-hmm. that's that's just beautiful. And all, how many people do you have on campus? There are about 250 people that we'll be taking care of t- tonight. Yeah. Um, and that's all levels of people that are currently working, still independent, driving, um, able to do everything that you and I can functionally do every single day to assisted living, which that may be someone that needs help with their medication or or maybe it's more challenging for them to um, walk or to feed themselves. If you have a number of those things that you can't do, like you can't you can't walk, you can't bathe yourself, you can't feed, you can't self-medicate, then you would be in our long-term care area. And we also have dementia care. Um, we, as we didn't even talk. Sorry, I'm going to back up for just a second. Yeah. The thing that I am in charge of here at MPTF is an internal television station that's a creative platform for the residents who live here. It also is a, a creative outlet for recently retired volunteers, people that are just starting their career in the film industry, people in college that are in film school. Um, but the TV station is closed circuit for the people that live here that don't want it known that they live here, that don't want people to know what they look like these days. Mm -hmm. You know, there's certainly a little bit of um, that kind of professional vanity that we have to honor. But there are also people that are getting a chance to really expand the passion that they had in their career by doing things that, you know, maybe they were locked in or pigeonholed as a writer but they wanted to try to direct or they were always booking as an actor because they had the looks and weren't 
their writing wasn't really taken seriously. They have a chance to explore that and enhance that and find other people on the campus to collaborate with without there being the pressure of it's a 12 hour production day. It's not. It's whatever your energy level is going to provide for production. And then we stop like there's no deadline. There's no commercial agency that's on top of us to make sure that production is done by a certain time or is is kept on a budget. So do you do you have like series or we do? Yeah, we've got comic original series. We've got one off um interview things that we'll do. Uh, There's nonfiction. We do short films, anything that the person comes into the door saying, Hey, this is something I want to do. Me and my staff do the best that we can to, um, to meet what their expectations are without having any kind of a budget to work with. And how many hours a day do you broadcast or is it just on demand? How does it work? We broadcast 24 seven. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that is also like there are so many facets to the entertainment industry that when when we're talking about, oh, we are a creative platform, people think, oh, that's someone who wants to write, wants to direct, wants to produce, maybe wants to continue to edit. We have a volunteer who's a resident. She's here four days out of the week. This is her quote unquote job. And she loves it because it, again, it provides that sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. She's scheduling the broadcast. She makes the decisions about what shows go on the air, what day and what time and learns the software to be able to plug in the files for the automated system. She's close to 90. And this goes back to what you're saying. And that that. Oh, that differentiation between, yes, it's great to have the money, but career brings so many other things. If we are just focusing on what, what that, um, what that career can buy us, like being a really good director gets you a better house or a better car, what it actually does is give, you hope it gives you better access to the kind of job that you want to do, which should be our focus, whether you're um, working in a trade or as a teacher or whatever, but it's become so much about money that that that's the focus and it detracts from that. I just love that story. Um, And as well as, I want to say this before I forget, as well as the 250-odd people that you have living here, you also have a wide outreach to the general community. Yes. So tell me about that. Uh, we will serve probably 6,000, 7,000 people um, across Southern California. Um, I'm sorry, I thought that was off. That's all right. Um, and that's in every every sort of way. Because the retirement community, I said Gene Herschel bought 48 acres. Yeah. He sold off eight to use that money to build on the campus in the 40s. Um, We've got 17 acres that are still undeveloped in our, you know, the south part of our campus because, again, it's a charity. People who are donating to the charity have an expectation that that money is going to be going to help pay somebody's rent or help keep food on the table of a family who's struggling between jobs or to make sure that the residents who are living on this community are healthy and taken care of. Because about half of the residents who live here have either 
no financial plan for their retirement, so they're fully subsidized by the donors that give to MPTF, or they have far outlived their retirement plan. We have a woman who is a Disney legend. She is incredible. And she's over 105. I won't give you her exact age, but she's well over. I, I played bingo with her yes. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Just, and so, um, so together, yeah. right? Super uh, sharp. Just so switched on. She's just, she's got it all. Yeah. Um, so, yes. So yeah. she, she did not plan to live past 100. So her financial capacity to pay to live on a retirement campus like this ran out years ago. Yeah. But the day that she went from being independent pay to subsidized by our donors, nothing changed. She tells this great story of that day. The food tasted the same. Her same friends were at the table that she had been eating at for years. Same room, same roof over her head. Same schedule of activities, bingo, poker, movies twice a week. She loves poker. She loves poker. But um, it is about giving people the platform to live with dignity and purpose. Yeah. Whether that means bingo twice a week or I'm going to create my own short film or television program and make sure that there are residents here for a live screening of it so that I get the accolades and I get the applause. Because why not? Why not? Yeah. And the the I think the other thing also, um, this is not 250 people who were the George Clooney's and Julia Roberts of their time. This is um, lighting, grips, writers, producers, directors, all aspects of the entertainment industry and their partners. Yeah. Yeah. So if you um, we have a lot of people that are spouses of. So the spouse of a sound mixer, the spouse of a publicist, the, the spouse of a script supervisor. Um, we, as the television station, we, we are blind to that. Like, I don't care what you did in the industry. I don't care if you supported your wife's career and you were a house husband mm-hmm. or a housewife. Come in and do an interview with us because I have ulterior motives a lot of the times. Um the reason that we do the first touch base with a lot of the residents is an interview series called behind the silver screen. And the reason that we do that is it's the best way that I have found to introduce someone new to the campus, that this is your TV station to do with what you want. (sighs) Yeah. Um, So we get to know them a little bit. We find out about what they're truly passionate about And then during the post-production process, they come in and they sit beside an editor and give them pictures and watch the story. And they, they can say, Oh, I don't really look how, like how I look there. Great. It's gone. Like whatever Mm -hmm. serves what's going to provide you happiness for the end result of your interview. Fantastic. Oh, and by the way, this is when it's going to be on the air. We can have a live screening here for you to gather new friends it provides when it does air, it provides that person an additional kind of bump in their self-confidence because it also gives you a chance to connect with people from a different area of the campus that you may not know. But if they're watching your interview on the internal TV station and you both happen to have worked at Universal Studios at the same time, 
they're more likely to approach you and say, hey, you worked at Universal. And suddenly your opportunity to be lonely or to self-isolate gets lower and lower and lower because, and this is a, a global problem that we are, I think we're about to see in even a, a more dynamic way be an issue. Loneliness and mm-hmm. self-isolation yeah. is as detrimental to your health as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. It, it is heartbreaking to understand that just because this, this person is physically isolated. They, they aren't able to walk or they, they aren't feeling self-confident or motivated enough to pick up the phone and just have a conversation with somebody. Mm. Um, their own heart is breaking. It causes heart disease. So, and this is not only an issue of an aging population. No, no. And this is this, the, the social isolation, um, you know, basically, from from my experience, anecdotally, yeah. uh, once people leave uh, a school or a college and they're not going somewhere every day, yeah. um, and I used to describe it as having a banana in your briefcase to take somewhere, mm-hmm. it is that loss of going somewhere. And we've identified this with um, remote working. Oh, my gosh, the idea of sitting in my PJs and working from home and putting on a load of washing sounded great. Yeah. But they've had to create companies like WeWork Mm -hmm. to bring freelancers into an environment where they can all be together because of the social isolation and the loneliness that that can impact the the working, your productivity, the creative process. You know, we're really stuffing that up, aren't we? Yeah. Well, and there are tech companies that are starting to identify this as well. Like you have um, you have this great tech world of a co-work situation with Slack. Yes. Where it it is still you are um, in your own home office in Seattle and there's a, a person in London and there's a person in Austin, Texas. But Slack gives you that chance to do like a group FaceTime where you're all in the same meeting and it, it is um, it helps to combat that social isolation mm. a little bit. We have... Um, we have a volunteer opportunity called the daily call sheet, which again, riffs a little bit off of the entertainment industry that everybody who's in production knows there's something called the daily call sheet. And that's your Bible for the day. Mm. Like every piece of information that you need to know who has what job, what time frame you're supposed to be called and to what area it's all on this one sheet of paper. We've taken that and um, made it into a volunteer opportunity called the daily call sheet which is a half hour once a week, you commit to calling somebody just to to check in. Mm. And um, if there is a really clear issue with the person that you're partnered with, you can let the person who's organized the daily call sheet know, and we might have a social worker follow up, follow up. That's not your task. Mm. Your task is to just call. Hey, them. how you go? Exactly. I've signed up for it. I think it's That's, fantastic. It's such a great program. And, um, what has sprung from that is um, that same kind of thing I was talking with Slack. There's a technology company called Uniper, and they have um, almost like a Roku that you plug into the top of your TV, and the remote for it is um, also a microphone. And you do this collaborative, like, coffee meeting, FaceTime on your television, where at a set time, you plug, you hit the Uniper um, remote 
And on your TV, you see four different people who are sitting in front of their own TVs and you can chat and have conversations and check in. And these it's great for people that are non-ambulatory, that um, have a common thread of working in the industry or, um, you know, if they all worked in a specific aspect of the industry, we'll try and partner them that way. Yeah. Uh, it's a pilot program, but again, it it is technology trying to identify and solve the problem of social isolation. Yeah, which has been partly created by the technology in the first place. Yeah, correct. I mean, you know, I think we've all got friends who get onto social media and make these huge announcements about their lives. And and I now, I reach out to them privately and say, oh, excuse me, I am your actual friend. Mm-hmm. Um, that is your Twitter family. <laughs> I am your real family, uh, please. Right. Which has become an issue, yeah. right? Yes. And the the... It's almost like an assumption that you're lulled into a belief that you are uh, communicating with people if you're on these platforms, but you're not really. No. You know? Yeah. No, those pro- – um, this is the way I like to think of them. Those platforms aren't communication. They're broadcasting. So uh, yeah. it's a one-way street. Yeah. You are putting up a billboard saying this is what's happening. And you might have people who drive by that billboard and throw a sticker at it to say, oh, yeah, I like that billboard. I like that billboard. But it's not interpersonal communication. It's not getting to the the heart of what what is truly driving a person and how you can work together to make that dream come true. Well, that's exactly beautifully expressed. Um, you just made me think of something, and that is that, you know, imagine in, in real life I was feeling lonely and somebody turned up at my front door with a picture of a cat. <laughs> like it wouldn't really do it. No. And yet on social media it's like, oh, please send me, what do they call it, kitty. Send me kitty. I don't, I'm mixing with the wrong circles. Yeah, no. But... <laughs> send me dogs, send me dogs. This is Tape Fountain with Ella James. Let me just address the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, there clearly are celebrities um, here, but importantly, there are celebrities who help out in the back end. Oh, yeah. Um, which of, can you tell me about any of those who do not mind being mentioned publicly about what they have done? Sure. Um, so Jeffrey Katzenberg is the head of our board, um, and he is not shy about making phone calls and sending out letters to people who have um, who have the reward of this industry to be able to um, donate money. Wow. Um, I, I heard him say something recently that really struck me that um, when he approaches you to give a, a large donation, it's part of the reward of the, your success in this industry. Mm-hmm. It's not a penalty. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh, no, Jeffrey Katzenberg is going to come knocking at my door because he wants I've to take some... something from right. me. Yeah. No, it is. It's his way of saying, congratulations, you've done it. Like there are a, a very few amount of people who have the great gift and opportunity that you now have because of the success you've had with the entertainment industry. Mm. Nobody in this business does it in a vacuum. There are legal secretaries at, at the different television stations who, without them showing up to do their nine-to-five job, your movie doesn't happen mm. or your television show doesn't get executed. Those are the people that we are taking care of. 
So in, in Mr. Katzenberg's mind, when he's knocking on your door to say, hey, we have a major campaign that we need you to start looking at how many millions of dollars you can give to us. That's his way of saying, congratulations. Mm, you're that's, on my radar. You're on my radar. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, and what a privilege it is for you to be able to thank all of those people who showed up, yep. who made your your dream come true. And now either in a time of crisis that that person is facing because there's a medical issue or because they are now the caregiver for someone with a medical issue, you can support them in a very tangible way through MPTF. Right. Um, so Mr. Katzenberg, George Clooney is on our board. Uh, Jim Giannopoulos is a huge supporter of us. And if that name isn't uh, popping initially, he's the head of Paramount. A lot of the entertainment that you enjoy is thanks to Jim Giannopoulos having the vision for it. Um, we have a tremendous amount of celebrity names just that populate the campus here. Jodie Foster has an aquatic pavilion. Um, her studio teacher retired here. So she became very familiar with MPTF because she was visiting this person who shaped her life as a youth and saw a need for uh, a way for that person to have some physical relief by having a pool because her own mother really benefited from aquatic therapy. So that, that was her tangible, like, I know this can make a, a difference. Yeah. Um, Hyam and Cheryl Saban, Dr. Cheryl Saban is, uh, a, a leading health professional. Uh, her husband is the, uh, he is power rangers basically that the Saban industries, right. um, they have given this beautiful gym and health center, um, that a lot of the residents who live here benefit from and industry members just in the community come and, and work out at that gym. So again, it's a great opportunity for an intergenerational connection, yeah. which is what we, as the television Because what is the do. age range that you, that you'd have on the campus? Uh, well, the average age is about 86. Okay. Um, but we have people who are kind of the exceptions to the rule that have extraordinary medical issues so we are taking care of them, whether it's um, advanced Parkinson's or MS. Um, we had our very first uh, patient with ALS a few years ago. Uh -huh. um, and let me tell you a little bit about his story as kind of exemplary of what we try and do. Um, so he moved onto the campus already in a nonverbal state with a lot of his motor function compromised. Um, he was working on his own documentary to leave as a legacy for his daughters. So he was editing with a system called eye gaze. His eyes were controlling his computer. Oh, wow. Um, once that documentary was done, he still wanted to do something to fill the hours because his brain was completely intact emotionally, again, emotionally, intellectually, it, it was all there, but yeah. physically very little was happening. Yeah. So, um, he started editing nonfiction for us for the internal TV station. And I went to give him notes personally, truly a little bit anxious about how I could authentically give notes to somebody who was editing using his eyes. And I can't, I don't edit and I've got full functionality. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
And when I walked in and sat down, he had notes for me. Oh. And I said, okay. Like in my own mind, I thought we're okay. We're we're doing this. This yeah, is. Yeah. I just have to forget the situation that he's physically in and go back to where I'm, where I try and instruct all of our volunteers and staff members to be, which is meet the person where they're at intellectually and emotionally. So, um, we found this incredible way to communicate with each other in a respectful way, um, with acknowledging the kind of energy limitations, but really challenging each other to make better production. Mm. Um, because I asked him after that first note giving how this was as an experience for him. And he typed out, this is the best medicine for ALS. And, you know, I took a deep breath, (coughs) excuse me. Sorry. Um, and said, well, then we should do more. And he said, uh, I want something more challenging. I said, okay. So I challenged him to write his own short film. He did based on experiences that he had in our long-term care area. It took about a year and a half. We, um, got people from across the campus to take different production roles, um, to star in it, um, And then we went out to the different unions that support us and got about a hundred volunteers. We did seven days of production and, um, and he edited his own short film, um, which we premiered on the campus. Uh, he asked a friend, a professional friend who was an editor to come and look at it and give him real notes and hit that guy's notes. Uh, Mark, um, his notes were, you need real original composition. So he tapped a composer, Shai Rozo. Um, so Shai came in, watched it, got it right away, um, wrote the music and got 24 musicians to donate their time and got a recording studio to donate their time. And that resident wasn't well enough to travel to the recording. But again, thanks to technology, he FaceTimed in thanked all the musicians again, typing out and letting the computer speak for him, told them, I love you, which melted that room of musicians. And after, um, a six hour music session, we had original score for the short film called Matt and Maya. And, uh, it's in film festivals now. Oh, wow. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. That's what it all is, isn't it? Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to use that as a segue, if I may, if it's not too clunky, (laughs) Um, because what, what you're doing here, you've seen a need in people to meet intellectual and emotional challenges, to meet them where they live, um, being mindful of their physicality and any age limitations that they have because of that, but you're giving them that opportunity. Yeah. And it's a very American thing, philanthropic caring. Um, I'm Australian and we have a huge social security and the government looks after us, you know, but in America, it's got to be the Jeffrey Katzenbergs reaching out Mm -hmm. because the government kind of doesn't do that. And and where I I 
you said during your uh, tour of the property, you just casually, blithely mentioned, <laughs> oh, and I produced this documentary called Be Prepared to Stop. Yeah. And um, and I got it up on Amazon Prime and I, I assumed that this was going to be about gas-guzzling cars in America. And it's about the declining infrastructure in our national highway system yeah. through a generation of governments that just haven't cared sufficiently to maintain the highway system. And one of the numbers that strikes me is that there are 4,000 bridges in Pittsburgh and 20% of them are structurally deficient. Now, even 1% would be a problem. That would be a a lead story on the nightly news, but it's not. So you see my segue is that on the one hand, we are all having to rely on our industry organisations, our unions, our our friends over families that no longer exist for yeah. many of us. Yeah. Um, and we're going for that philanthropic support and the training of people and the heart of people who know how to look after other people because government isn't doing it. And it was so apparent to me in the documentary, Be Prepared to Stop, um, that the government has just forgotten about infrastructure. So tell me... What got you interested in creating this documentary? Um, so a uh, couple of things got me interested. Um, I like to keep a lot of irons in the fire at the same time. The, the residents at MPTF have a lot more um, respect for me and for what we do collaboratively if I'm still also producing and creating content that I'm passionate about. So, um, my grandfather was a truck driver. I was very, very frustrated with watching the way that people were interacting with trucks on our highways in Los Angeles, because just rudimentary physics will tell you if you're going to cut an 80,000 pound truck off with your 5,000 pound car, your car's not going to win. And the person who's in a rush to get to the store or to wherever it is, probably likely to go and buy something. I mean, that's a consumer in that car. They're taking their life in their own hands, but they're also um, compromising a very tenuous transportation system that is bringing the stuff that they are going to buy to the store where they are about to buy it from. Like it's, it's very, self-destructive in a number of different ways. Well, it's a lack of awareness, and it overrides in the... And I'm sorry to cut you off there, sorry. but it, 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 um, it's throughout the documentary, this sense that, um, that people are like cocker spaniels with their ears over their eyes. If they can't see it, it doesn't exist. Right. And they drive blithely through without with blinders on and they just don't see what the reality is or their place in it. Right. Uh, I think their place in it is um, a, a critical part of what we are trying to say with the documentary. Yeah. Um, so I, I produced and co-directed the documentary with a friend of mine, but it really like I brought her along because I, I needed the help and the support. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a really gifted writer and um it was a great experience for, for the two of us as filmmakers, but this was always me pulling the crew for them to understand 
people are taking for granted that this transportation industry, that the infrastructure that they drive on every single day has always been there and it always will be. Mm. And that's not the case. Um, we have to take ownership and responsibility because the government isn't. The gas tax in the federal gas tax in the United States hasn't been raised since 1993. And throughout the documentary, we try and lighten it up a little bit and do things that will make you laugh and, and make that number kind of stick in your head. And what we did for that was to say, imagine if you'd been working since 1993 and you hadn't gotten a raise. And just to remind you, 1993 is when Cindy Crawford and Richard Gere were the sexiest couple alive. Like, that's a long time ago. <laughs> so it's really important for us to understand how this will impact everything that you do and touch. It will impact if your infrastructure fails, your ATMs are going to run out of money really quickly. Your hospitals are going to run out of oxygen really quickly. Um not to mention food and groceries and, and the things that we all rely on. If you think about like the East Coast, which is where I grew up, if there was a, the threat of a storm, the grocery stores are just, they just get emptied. They get it's, emptied it's like, so quickly. And it's like a public holiday in Australia because the, the shops shut down. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to be closed for like one day. Yeah. And people go and they're just trolleys full of stuff yep. because, oh, you know, the notion, not that I wanted to go to the shops tomorrow, but, but being denied the opportunity to go to the shops tomorrow. So I totally get that. Yeah. 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 And if the, if you can't get through because your bridge has failed or... And the other thing that was shocking to me that drove me to make this film happen, um, I met with someone who owns a trucking company and I met him randomly in Washington, D.C. when I was there for a film festival for a different project that I was on. And he was in D.C. because he was telling Vice President Joe Biden at the time, raise my damn taxes. I can afford it. This is someone. Is this the guy from Maverick? It is the guy from Maverick. Right. He was he was such a great spokesperson for the industry and a generational involvement from his his grandfather to him to his son and daughter. Yeah. Um, I I I wanted to make clear for the for the audience, um, you've got to see this documentary. It it was it will blow your mind. Um, so think Dwight D. Eisenhower, a commander in chief, World War II theater, um, and a civil engineer nerd decide that we need these crisscrossing roads across America. If you're a tourist to America and you've wanted to do one of these long drives, you will have driven on these highways. Yes. Okay, fine. Um, but they are in such poor states of repair mm -hmm. and the bridges are in such poor states of repair. And what was that figure that someone said? Was it 100 people will die in a truck accident? Not a truck accident, in an infrastructure accident, right. meaning that the, um, the way, the capacity that they designed for in the 50s and 60s for these interstate highways versus the size of the trucks and the amount of trucks and cars on the roads these days. Yeah. It, they can't they don't mesh. They they don't match. So the exit ramps are too tight of a circumference. The um the ways that that people are merging onto roads, there's not enough lead time. So these infrastructure accidents, it's over 150 people a day that are dying because of it. And um, there was a civil engineer in the documentary 
And what he said was, it's equivalent to a 737 dropping out of the sky every other day. If you think of what has been going on with the the Boeing airlines. The Max, yeah. Right. That that was two planes. And it's a, a flaw in the engineering of those planes. That's what's happening on our highway system every other day. And nobody is pulling an alarm about it because it's spread out over thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. But the fact is the loss of life is equivalent. Yeah. So and don't get me started on the way media covers things. I mean, you're mm-hmm. an old media person. Yeah. Uh, you know that we grab hold of something for, for 24 hours and we, we take it through the front door, the back door, the bathroom window, the kitchen window, the sliding, the skylight. Yeah. We'll go every angle we possibly can and exhaust it, regardless of the level of interest, because we justify it by saying the community needs to know. Meanwhile, there are other stories that also need attention that aren't receiving any attention. Yeah. So and, man, and it's not infrastructure is kind of not sexy, not not kind of not sexy, period. <laughs> it's not sexy, period. But um, the fascinating thing to me, Samantha B did a segment on this uh, just last night where she was talking about uh, people that are trying to uh, flee Yemen. Right. There are these Yemenese people that are in a country in the, the Horn of Africa right now that um it was it's devastating to hear what they have been through and what they're currently going through, just trying to get to the U.S. Um, and the travel ban is what's you know precluding them from doing that. Some of them who are actually U.S. citizens who can't come home um, and what she illustrated to them in terms of the news cycle, which is what brings me to this, is she's holding up all of these Twitter articles about like, Oh, well, there, there's so much more important stuff in the news. That's why nobody knows about what's going on in Yemen. Look, the president had toilet paper on his shoe. See how many tweets there were about that? It's like, it, yeah, there, there is so much um, garbage that we are consuming mm. day in and day out. And some of it um, is, our, I think, our own um, self-protection that... There, there are so many large issues. It's, it's good to laugh at something. It's good to get a little bit of, of, you know, diversion. But I think we've crossed the Rubicon where the diversion is what's important to everybody and not like the New York Times article that happened about six months ago where they did this incredible amount of investigating and it was a blip on the radar because mm. the 24-hour news cycle and the and the 24-hour news channels that are much more opinion-driven than journalistic these days, mm. that's this just cyclone that we all are getting swept up in right now. And the paradox of choice. Like I have, I have so many, I have so many hours in the day. Right. I have to work. I have to sleep, and I have my leisure time for watching. Television. I can't watch it when I'm. I don't have a self-driving car yet. Don't. Um, oh, you want to get started on self-driving cars? Let's talk about being prepared to stop again because you can't have a self-driving car if the infrastructure isn't isn't there. Um, there actually, I heard somebody uh, two weeks ago talk about a hack that they did for a self-driving car, where um, self-driving cars 
use technology like radar so that you're not going to collide with the car in front of you. But the way that they're able to stay in the lane is they're reading the striping on the lanes. So with potholes, with, um, you know, new asphalt and earthquakes, earthquakes and things that just wreak havoc on our road systems. Um, Tesla can't release a self-driving car in California because they can't read the lane striping. Um, The hack that I saw is somebody painted a yellow, a wide enough yellow circle. So the self-driving car is just going in an endless loop. And, and that's a metaphor for our government, isn't it? Oh, Hello. Yeah. But the car was was led to it. So yeah. it was on a regular road and then it just followed into this loop and couldn't get out of it. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. And the number of people that I speak to, um, if I raise the specter of something that's happened in the news, they say, no, 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 don't don't mention it. I can't. I can't. I just can't. Mm-hmm. And um which is right up there with uh, I can't operate an iPhone because I'm over forty. I just <laughs> I, I the the level of engagement about things that matter, the lack of critical thinking skills, the sharing of articles that are five years old that support what your bubble believes, right. the lack of reading anything other than a headline to see what the article actually contains. Yeah. I mean all of all of those things. Um, we have to wrap this up. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm so sorry. I'd love you to be a weekly guest. <laughs> I'd um, be happy to. But this is this is yeah. fantastic. Um, so, just from some contact points, the documentary is called "Be Prepared to Stop." Yes, it's on iTunes and Amazon Prime, and our handle is uh, BPTS Doc on most social media. Okay. Um, MPTF also has a more robust social media presence because we have also taken that on in our department. Um, We've got really fun throwback Thursdays because, again, the charity's 100 years old. So <gasps> pictures of Mary Pickford, pictures of we've actually um, Abbott and Costello performed on this campus. So we have a video of them doing um, uh, who's on first right. from here. Oh, that's so. Yeah. Oh, so, that's, so what's the what's your um, what's your handle at MPTF um, on Instagram and on Twitter? And then if you look up motion picture and television fund on Facebook were there. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a very exciting time for all of us. Oh, and follow us on YouTube. Okay. Because the YouTube presence for MPTF is about to get, uh, dynamically more broad. With so a would lot you, of the we content. just go into, um, youtube.com and then search MPTF. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, I can't wait to hear uh, what else you're going to do next. Um, it's been so exciting and so uplifting, I'm sure, for, for more listeners to know what you're up to. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much for, A, for coming and volunteering your time, for connecting in a community way that I know that you're about to give back to the entertainment community by volunteering with people who don't live on the campus. Yeah. And, you know, for saying, hey, come on our podcast. I think that's that's incredible. Fantastic. Thank you. You've been listening to Tate Fountain with Ella James. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast at iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.